Well, good morning. Wonderful to be together this morning as God's people, to honor Him and show our love for Him, and to encourage one another in our faith. We want to thank all who are here. If you're being with us, we're glad that you can join in this time of worship and encouragement with us here at Eastside. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians, assuming something to be true, which was he knew was true because he'd worked long with the Ephesians, he says, indeed, you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Paul was confident, in fact, he was sure that they had heard of the dispensation or the stewardship of God's grace was entrusted by God to Paul to share with the Ephesians. They'd heard of God's grace because he had preached to them God's grace. This morning, I'm confident as I stand before you as the church here at Eastside that you also have heard of God's grace my reason for being confident is because I have preached to you God's grace. <laughs> now, I don't know how well you were listening, but we have preached God's grace. And in fact, we do that with uh, a good bit of regularity, which is one of the main points of the lesson today. I read an article this last week by the late brother Ed Bragwell, uh, who was a, a friend of mine and of Sandy's family, a wonderful preacher. I preached a long time in Russellville and then in Birmingham. In any case, uh, he was writing about a problem that he had observed where seemingly a lot of young preachers were coming along and saying, well, we're not hearing about enough, enough about grace. There needs to be more preaching on grace. And sometimes from the pews you hear that as well. We just, we just don't hear enough about God's grace and understand God's grace. We're not talking about God's grace enough, and yet it's such an important thing. How can we leave God's grace out? And Brother Bragel writes this article, basically says, what are you talking about? We're preaching about God's grace all the time. And, and the thing is that even currently, there are those who are saying those kinds of things, but really, they don't want the grace that's in the Bible. They want a form of it uh, that was developed by people like John Calvin, that basically lets everybody off the hook from doing works that please God, from obeying to be saved, from requiring that one strive to live a life uh, that's godly and holy. So Brother Bragwell write, writes this. I'm just going to read a little bit of this article to you. He says, I cannot understand how so many of the younger generation of preachers, and sometimes encouraged by a few older ones, can talk about how woefully the generation before them neglected to tell people about the grace of God. They boldly speak about it as though it was a settled fact of history and that their generation is going to be going to correct the matter by speaking more about grace and less about commandment keeping. That's usually where this goes. We're not hearing enough about grace. We need more about grace and less about commandment keeping. I continue with Brother Ragwell. Please note this. It's some of the best writing ever written. As a qualified member of the preceding generation, as one man once said, I deny the allegation 
and renounce the alligator. That's funny. He, he renounces the alligator, the one who made the allegation. And so I do today. Those who are alleging that grace is not preached on need to open up their minds to what biblical grace is. And as we'll see in the lesson momentarily, you have heard of the grace of God. And so have all of those who are making the complaint that we're not hearing about the grace of God. Now, there are people in the world that haven't heard about the grace of God, but you have. If you're a member of this church, because you wouldn't be a member of the Lord's church had you known nothing about the grace of God. Grace has, grace has been preached a lot. And although it's been preached a lot, not have been preached as I've indicated in the way that some might prefer. A way that isolates grace from the rest of biblical truth. It has been said about John Calvin that he wasn't the first person to ever understand something about the sovereignty of God, but he was one of the first to isolate that principle of truth from every other principle of truth. And the same thing could be said about his understanding of grace. Uh, Calvin wasn't the first person to, you know, focus on the grace of God in his studies and the big part that it has in the plan of redemption and God's nature. Calvin wasn't the first one to see that, but he was one of the first ones to isolate the concept of grace from the rest of Bible truth, as if, as if grace is all and everything, and the rest of Bible truth really doesn't have anything to do with grace. That's almost, that's almost the way that it's been presented. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, one of the problems with this modern neo-Calvinistic, if you will, approach to grace is that it does try to isolate it from obedience and particularly works of obedience. In Romans chapter 1 verse 5, which by the way is one of the books, the main book of the Bible, where people would go to isolate grace from works and everything else, and there are some reasons for that, but it has to do with misinterpretation. But let me just get on Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, where Paul says, Paul says, through him, that is through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. What's grace given for? Why did Paul have the responsibility of telling the world about grace? It was for obedience to the faith. You isolate grace from obedience and you've got nothing. You have nobody being saved. Nobody having a living, active faith. Paul will say this again in Romans chapter 16. Grace is for obedience to the faith. That's the purpose of it. That's why he's preaching it. Failing to truly appreciate how grace permeates every aspect of our faith and works and how many facets of grace, God's grace there are, really, it, it, it's, not, it's not understanding grace. It's not telling people more about grace. It is hiding the true nature of the grace of God. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, in passing, the Apostle Peter says that we are 
receiver, is a recipient of the manifold grace of God. The word manifold means multifaceted, actually multicolored. So all of the different colors in the world, you know, how, millions and millions and millions of them there are, that's, like, that's God's grace. It, it is so multifaceted. There are so many different aspects of it. We want to focus on one particular part of grace and say that we're preaching grace. And I think we miss the boat on grace when we do that. And so for the rest of our time this morning, I want to assure you that you have heard of God's grace. And I want to share with you some times when you've heard of God's grace. Not nearly all of them. As I said, and as the Bible says, God's grace is manifold. It's multifaceted. We couldn't cover it all in one sermon. It's all throughout Scripture. But you have heard of God's grace anytime you hear a sermon or somebody talk about God sending His Son. In John chapter 1, John talks about the Word into the world. John 1 and verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he, we beheld His glory. Well, his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus came, the Word of God was manifested in the flesh. That was because Jesus is full of grace and truth. When He came into the world, filled with grace. Verse 17, John says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When we talk about the coming of Jesus Christ into this world, God sending His Son, that in itself was a tremendous aspect, uh, exhibition of the grace of God. Here He is, God the Father, with His Son in all eternity, inhabiting heaven together, and God letting His own Son leave His heavenly home to come to this earth. What an act of grace. Just Jesus coming. And Jesus, as He comes, is filled with grace and will explain and demonstrate God's grace to us in so many different ways. So if, we, if we've talked about, and we ever have talked about, God sending His Son into the world, we're talking about grace. When we're, if you've heard about Christ dying and shedding His blood for us, you've heard about grace. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul there says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So the blood of Christ, which washes us of our sins, which cleanses us of our sins, when we talk about that as we do literally every week, as we think about what we must do to be saved, and we talk about the, the things that God wants you to do through faith in order to get cleansing from your sin, through the blood of Christ. We're talking about grace. It's through His blood that we receive forgiveness. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we've been made alive together with Christ. Through grace we have been saved, Ephesians 2 and verse 5 says. And Hebrews 2 and verse 9 says that we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He died for us, but He's crowned now with glory and honor that, that He, by the grace of God, might taste of death for everyone. It's back to Jeff's talk this morning before the Lord's Supper. He tasted of death for you and for me. 
when Jeff was talking this morning, I, I was thinking, oh, he's talking about grace. Because that's what grace is. That's what the Hebrew writer said. He, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, should taste of death for everyone. What are we preaching when we preach that? We're preaching grace. In fact, the core of grace, really. Have you heard that everybody's saved in the same way? Everybody who is saved is saved in the same way. Now, I'll just say I preach about that a lot. There aren't different ways of being saved. I know the religious groups around about us have all kinds of different steps that people take to be saved, but there, there are, there's only one way. There's not a bunch of different ways to do that. Everybody who's ever got saved got saved the same way. By God's grace. In Acts chapter 15, when they're meeting there uh, in Jerusalem, the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem and others, to discuss, are, are Gentiles saved the same way Jews are saved? Or is there some special thing Gentiles have to do that Jews don't have to do? Or vice versa. And so they're discussing all of that, as you may well remember, because there were some Jews that were saying that the Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to be saved. That was, that was the basis of this meeting in Acts 15. In Acts 15 and verse 11, here's what's said. We believe that, notice the word, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Is there a difference between Jews and how Jews and Gentiles are saved? No. They're saved in the same way. Just like everybody else who ever got saved, got saved. Everybody's saved in the same way. Doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, red, yellow, black, or white. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your parents did, what your grandparents did, what the church you're going to says you're supposed to do to be saved. Everybody's saved in the same way. Where do I get that? From God's grace. Because God is so gracious that He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't make the Gentiles do something only the Jews had been doing. He doesn't put the law of the Jews on the Gentiles. That's a big point of God's grace throughout Scripture. That's really what Romans is all about. Everybody who ever gets saved gets saved in the same way. That's grace. Maybe you've heard of churches being planted in other places. In Acts chapter 11, uh, you may remember that those who had been scattered by the persecution of Saul went everywhere preaching the word. Uh, In Acts chapter 11, some of them has gone as far as Antioch and were preaching the gospel to Greeks. News of that came to the church in Jerusalem. It says, when news came of these things to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, Acts eleven twenty two. they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he had come and seen, here's what he saw when he saw a church planted in Antioch. The grace of God. When we talk about churches being planted in Zimbabwe or Guatemala or any of the places around the world where churches are planted, and there are churches all around the world, How's that accomplished? By the grace of God. That's God's grace. That's what Barnabas saw. 
when you've heard about the gospel plan of salvation being preached and believed and submitted to throughout the world. We're talking about the grace of God. When you've heard about God's word being preached to build up the saints, you're talking about the grace of God. As we do that again regularly here, I suppose every lesson that's ever preached here in one way or another by anybody that fills this pulpit is preached to build up the saints. And what it uses, what we use to build up the saints, is of course the word of God. The Apostle Paul, in speaking to the Ephesian elders in Ephesians chapter 20 and verse 32, says to them, Brethren, I commend you to God and to, notice this, the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. What is it that builds us up? The word of His grace. That's what we use to edify one another. And any time we do that, that is of grace. That is of God's grace anytime that we're teaching this. Because this is a product of God's grace. If by the grace of God, he had not sent his Holy Spirit to inspire men to write these words, we wouldn't know what he wanted of us, how to have a relationship with him, or any way how we might get to heaven. This word, every word in it, is of God's grace. And so I'm telling you this morning that if we're preaching God's word, we are on grace. We are all over it. You've heard of God's grace when you heard of people learning to turn away from lust and ungodliness. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. So when we teach that, people should turn away from ungodliness and worldly lust. And when people do that, we're seeing God's grace in action. And when we tell people you need to live a sober, serious, spiritual life and live a righteous life, and when we harp on that from the pulpit and we tell people to live godly in this present age, a world that's filled with darkness, but you need to be a light shining in the darkness and you need to live a godly life in an ungodly world. What am I preaching about when I preach about those things? I'm preaching things that grace taught me. The grace of God teaches. That's what Paul says. These things. So just a side note here, halfway through the lesson. Uh, kind of looks like to me that a lot of the things that folks are complaining about being preached about too much when we're not preaching about grace are actually what grace teaches. The, the very core of what grace is. Let's examine that some more. When we talk about what God's will is for the church. And we do that a lot. What God wants of us of a church, individually and collectively. Paul writes to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, after he's challenged us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, not conformed to the world. He says in verse 3, I say, through the grace given to me, 
to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So God has given each one of us different things, different abilities, different gifts, if you will. And Paul then goes on to say, well, we need to use those gifts, whatever God has given us, in the service in the body. Please notice, grace is the thing that motivates God to give. So if you have an ability to serve the Lord, a talent, if you will, that he's given you, that's part of his grace. You using that to build up a church or to do the things that need to be done in a congregation, that's grace. That's all grace. What's Paul say? We have many members in one body. Not, not all the members have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. We have gifts differing according to the grace of God. Let us use them. That's what he says. According to the grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, where I started out this morning, the Apostle Paul is talking about Again, him being given a stewardship, a, a, a dispensation, a, a responsibility. He says, you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've already written in few words, whereby when you read, you can understand my knowledge and mystery of Christ, which in other generations were not made known, has now been made known to the sons of men by his holy apostles and prophets. What's Paul saying? He's saying that my whole apostleship and everything I'm doing in preaching the gospel and sharing the word of God with you, that's all by the grace of God. The dispensation of the grace of God, the stewardship of the grace of God with which he was entrusted. And they'd heard all about it. And when they heard about the gospel and when they read about what he wrote and when we read what he wrote, again, we're recipients of the grace of God. That all came through God's grace. When you heard lessons about praising God in song, and we certainly heard those here, you've heard lessons about grace. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, the commandment is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When I get up here and preach that we need to be singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, I'm saying we have in our hearts grace because we've received grace from God. And that redounds in us into the songs that we sing. As we lift our voices to teach one another in song, to praise the God of heaven. And it's just beyond strange that those who are insisting that we need more on grace are the very ones who insist that we be allowed to do something else besides sing in our worship assembly. When singing is an expression of the grace of God. I never read where playing was an expression of the grace of God. but I know singing is. When you heard lessons about giving, for sure you've heard lessons about the grace of God. Again, we talk about giving, the importance of it. 
the need of it, to carry on the Lord's work, to help needy saints, to support evangelists. We've had lesson after lesson on those kinds of things, how that's to be carried out according to Scripture. When Paul talks about this in some detail, especially the giving for the helping of needy saints, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where I am, he says, beginning that section, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So he's talking about a bestowal of the grace of God on the churches of Macedonia. What did God do? Well, that in great trial of affliction, was that God's grace that they were going through affliction? Just think about this. I don't think that's what he means. In great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. The word liberality there is the idea of liberal giving. God's grace, God's grace led the Macedonians to be liberal givers, freely giving. And he says in verse 7, As you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. The word grace is there, isn't it? In this grace. The grace that you have because you're a recipient of God's grace and you are to abound in it. And we mentioned in a lesson a few weeks ago, the word there has to do with excelling. We are to excel in giving. Excel in it. Out of God's grace. People who aren't overwhelmed with the grace of God typically don't excel in giving. But people who are will excel in giving. That's where he is. In the next chapter, still talking about giving, when in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, he said, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. In other words, God gives you everything that you need and more than you need. If you're willing to turn around and give that to others and use that for his cause and his glory, if you understand that you are blessed, not to hog all your money for yourself, but you are blessed to bless others. That the reason God is blessing you is not for your personal pleasure, is not just to you know, make life comfortable for you, but so that you might have the tools that you need to bless others. That's what Paul is saying. And that, all, all of that, is the grace of God at work. From him giving it to us, to us then having the heart to give it to others. The grace of God abounding. You've heard of God's grace when you heard about trusting him in sickness and in infirmity, when you're going through hard times. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 had a thorn in the flesh, and he'd asked God three times to take that away. You would think God's grace, if God is uh, so gracious and full of grace, that when one of his apostles asked him three times to take away my thorn in the flesh, that, that God would graciously do that. But God doesn't do that. Instead, he tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. The grace I give is all you need. However much I've given, however much I've supplied, that's all you need. And so the text says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. 
when I learned to trust God's grace. I've shared this with you before. Many of you who know me know this about me. I don't get a lot of sleep. I wish that I did, but I don't. And I've shared this before, but many years ago, I, I mean, I've, I've been struggling with this for years, and, and I, I would pray, God, please, God, give me more sleep. Please, God, give me more sleep. Please. I, I prayed it more than three times. I probably prayed it 300 times. And finally, I came to the same conclusion the Apostle Paul came to. The sleep God's given me is enough. His grace is sufficient for me. And I have found if I'd just rather pray, God, give me the rest that I need so that I can do what you want me to do for you today, that I have always been given that much rest. That's grace. Paul understood it. I hope we can too. It doesn't mean that God will take everything away, but you'll have enough to serve the Lord. And that's all that matters. Have you heard, you know, we need to just stay with the gospel. We don't need to change doctrine. So you've heard a lot of sermons about the problem of people that, that change doctrine, that change the gospel, and how wrong that is. You maybe had heard sermons where false doctrines exposed and people are perverting the gospel of Christ and all of those kinds of things. You know what you're hearing when you hear that? You're hearing grace. In, in, in the book of Galatians, chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says to the Galatians, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. If I were, if I were in a class, I would ask somebody to answer this question. Don't do it. But I'd say, somebody raise your hand and tell me by what are we called into the grace of God? And ten people would raise their hand and they'd say, we're called by the gospel. Right? We're called by the gospel? Absolutely. That's what Paul tells the Thessalonians, you were called by the gospel. Look at this again. You're turning away, Galatians, so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ. How were they called? By the gospel. Into the grace of Christ. But they changed to a different gospel, which is not, not another, but there are some who trouble you who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And he goes on to say, if we are an angel from heaven, preach to you any other gospel than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. That's why we preach about people messing with the gospel. That's grace. The gospel is. And we don't need anybody messing with it. And that person's supposed to be accursed. Have you heard about the necessity of living a holy life? And we talked about holiness and sanctification and what it means to be a saint over and over and over again. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, we're to pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. If you do not pursue holiness, you have fallen short of the grace of God. When I'm encouraging you, when the scriptures encourage you to pursue holiness with all of you got in your, all that you've got in your life, to pursue holiness, we're encouraging you to pursue the grace of God. It's all about grace. You heard sermons admonishing you to stop sinning? Just like every other week, right? 
Romans 6 and verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we, can, shall we, shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? God forbid. Now, now here is the crux of the problem, right, right here. We're getting to the nitty-gritty of what our problem is in the Lord's body today. People want grace preached on more because what they think is that that, that alleviates us, frees us from having to worry so much about our sins. From having to be concerned so much about actually doing what God said and, and making sure that we're doing what's right and not sinning. So if we talk a lot about grace, then all of a sudden we don't have to worry about you know, whether or not we're sinning so much. Paul says exactly the opposite of that. I mean exactly the opposite of that. Shall we continue in sin? Just keep on sinning so that you know grace is going to cover all that. Grace may abound. No. That's not the approach at all. How shall we who died to sin continue in it anymore? And so what's being pressed on us today, this false concept of what grace is and what it allows and how God wants us to receive it, is, is that the problem of sin isn't big anymore. Don't you understand? Christ had to die on the cross for your sins. That grace makes the problem of sin huge. It's still a big problem. And yes, through God's grace, we can get forgiveness for our sins. But we need to make sure that we don't sin anymore. That sin doesn't rule over us anymore. It shall not have dominion over you because you are not under law, but under grace. That's the whole point of all of that. For somebody to go through the book of Romans and say that we don't have to worry about obedience, that we need not be concerned about not sinning, entirely missed the point of it. Have you heard about the need to serve God with reverence and fear? I've heard people say, well, if you love God like you should and, and you understood grace, you, would ha you wouldn't have any fear of God. That's odd because in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, or rather... I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. God is a consuming fire. In the, in the same text where we're serving God with grace, understanding that God's a consuming fire. See, grace doesn't take that away. Grace accentuates it. We serve God with godly fear. When we talk about heaven, what are we talking about? And I know if I've preached one lesson on heaven here. I know I've preached two dozen. What are we talking about when we talk about heaven? Grace. Just talking about grace. Romans 5 and verse 2. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Grace enables us to think about heaven. 
and to rejoice about heaven. And so we have just a couple of other things, and you've listened patiently, and I know we have a one o'clock meeting this afternoon, but just give me about two or three more minutes, if you would. You've heard about grace if you ever read 1 Peter. You ever read 1 Peter? I'm pretty sure nearly everybody that's an adult in this room has read 1 Peter. You ever heard me preach about 1 Peter? Yes, you have, if you've been here. In 1 Peter, Peter speaks of being called to a living hope, of being holy because Christ is holy, of submitting to authority, authority of governments, authority in society, a husband, uh, his wife submitting to her, suffering for righteousness' sake, putting away worldliness. You know, don't drink. That's one of the things. It's one of the things that's in 1 Peter. You come to the end of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, verse 12, listen to this. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is, what is? What he's written, right? What he's written. I'm exhorting, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the grace of God in which you stand. Every last bit of the epistle of 1 Peter, as I've already said, the rest of the Bible, but the epistle of 1 Peter especially, all the content of it is the grace of God in which you stand. Have you heard of the grace of God? I think so. Those who claim that the true grace of God haven't been preached or isn't being preached probably need to take another look at the Bible and in the mirror. Surely, surely nobody thinks that the preaching done on the topics we've mentioned this morning has been something from a human being that didn't come through the grace of God. Surely nobody thinks that God provided these things because we earned them. We didn't earn any of this. It's all God's grace. Surely they don't think that when one responds to these things that we've talked about by obeying God, that they are suddenly now claiming to be the author and finisher of their own faith. You've heard of the grace of God. You heard that God saved us by His grace and not according to our works. That means we didn't deserve it. We don't do anything to earn what God has done for us. You can't earn grace. If you earn it, it's not grace. But things like that have been said I don't know how many times from this pulpit. Paul writes Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, He saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God planned all this out before the world began. We owe all of it to God, none of it to ourselves. That does not change the fact that we must in faith obey him to receive his grace. What has been taught is that Man responds to God's acts of grace by believing and obeying his commands. Eternal salvation is to all who obey him. I suspect that 
those who criticize the lack of preaching on grace over the years would not have done so had they followed more closely what the Bible actually says about grace. But I believe that they've become, become so fascinated with a brand of grace that they think they've discovered, usually not in reading the Bible, but in reading some Calvinist author, and not recognized the subtlety of Satan in perverting the grace of God. I pray that we'll have no more go down that path. We've had enough. I have since the time I was a young Christian known many to take the path of perverted grace. It's a sad path. This morning, God's grace is available to you through his word, through the fact that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. Every last sin of yours can be forgiven through the power of his grace. He's just asking you to believe it. Name the name of his son and turn away from sin and be baptized for the remission of your sins. So simple. You're not going to earn it. You're just going to believe him and do what he asks. Please come while we stand and sing.